today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Solomon says, I know that it will be well for those who fear God and fear Him openly. He says, time and chance will work out for you if you fear God, worship God, and you worship God openly. That's what he's saying. Go to church. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Worship privately, worship corporately. What you do is go to church. The truth is God can make sense of your life even when you can't. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today on The Winning Walk, Dr. Young begins his message when life is unpredictable and shows how you can trust God even when your life is full of mystery. Stick around, Dr. Young is coming right up. Now here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, when life is unpredictable. Sir Winston Churchill was a master of the English language. If you've not read his history of the Second World War, I encourage you to do so. It'll help us to understand, you and I, Western civilization in a way that you will never have through any other vehicle, in my opinion. He was a master of the written word, he was a magnificent orator. He understood so many cultures, so many nations, but he never could understand Russia. He really couldn't. He understood Nazi Germany. He understood Mussolini and Italy. He understood the United States. Remember, his mother was an American, and he could look at all around the world and have great insight as to what was going on, the thinking of the people. But he said, I don't get the Russians. He said, the Russians and what they do as far as Winston Churchill was concerned was a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. That's pretty complex, isn't it? Now, we could have helped Churchill understand Russia because Russia was a thoroughgoing atheistic nation. And therefore, so many times we do not understand what people do and how they think or how they vote or how they live. We have to understand if they are looking at life simply under the sun from a humanistic viewpoint, they can't think rationally. They can't think logically. They are blinded. And therefore, Churchill somehow missed this fact about the USSR. And he kept saying, you know, it's a, it's a, they're a riddle wrapped up in a mystery encased in an enigma. And as we have studied Ecclesiastes, we could say, you know, as I read the book, that's sort of where I come down because there's a lot of mysteries in our study and there's a lot of mystery all around us. Look up, look all the way into the starry heavens. I picked up one of Hugh Ross's book this week. 
And I'll tell you, you don't have to go far until you realize this brilliant astrophysicist is taking us into areas where we need a, a dictionary close by and somebody help us understand what he's saying about the solar system, about the cosmos. Above us, there is mystery. They measure distances by the speed of light. Think about that. And they measure it in thousands of years. So above us, there's a mystery of size and distance. And what about when we look not only through a telescope, we see that, but look at a microscope. Look at all these little things that are everywhere. My, my hand under a microscope, you say, look at all of that. My goodness, have you washed your hands in a month? <laughs> you see, there's a mystery close to us that's small. We would say T. Nancy when we were children. That's very, very small and very close. Whereas the mystery here is very large and far apart. There are mysteries everywhere. Look up, look down, look within. Mystery, mystery, mystery. Riddles, enigmas, all a part of life. Did you know if all the electrons in a human body became the size of an apple, and the body would be increased in size proportionately that that person could take the whole solar system and hold it in the palm of their hand, and it would take a magnifying glass to see it. Hello? Astounding mystery up there, in here, around there, surrounded by mysteries. They're everywhere you look. Some of them are, are very simple and very plain. I can sit at my desk, write something on a card, put the card to one side, answer the phone, see somebody, pick up a book, shuffle some more papers, answer some letters, get on my cell phone, and I can look for that card I put down just a few minutes ago, and it's gone. Shazam! I, where'd he go? I said, what in the world? It's a mystery to me. Uh, a few months ago, I was, I'd lost my cell phone for the 5,000th time. <laughs> and I looked everywhere for it. I, I, I said, look, I'm going to call somebody, and it was in my hand. <laughs> Please don't tell anybody that. They keep that in the family. It was a great mystery to me. There, there. Did you hear about the mystery of the, the man who bought a brand new car and wrote the dealership and said, I've got a problem with my car. My car is allergic to vanilla ice cream. <laughs> they said, get serious. And he explained. He said, every day coming home from work, I stop by this little ice cream shop and I buy ice cream for my family. He said, when I buy vanilla ice cream, I go back to my car, it won't start. He said, if I buy chocolate or strawberry or some other kind, he said, I go back, my car always starts. He said, it works every day. And the, the dealership was intrigued. And so they sent a mechanic and said, one of my mechanics is going to ride with you to see what in the world. And so the mechanic did. Sure enough, they brought vanilla ice cream, went back, the car wouldn't start. It took some time. They bought another kind of ice cream the next day, the car started. And they said, what in the world? A car allergic to vanilla ice cream? <laughs> and then some mechanic figured it out. He said, it's a vapor lock. 
You see, when you went in the shop, a lot of people bought vanilla so that you could go in quickly and come back out, and the car was still hot. There was a vapor lock. It wouldn't start. But when you bought another ice cream, it took some while to get it all together. That came time for the car to cool down. There was no vapor lock. It would start back up. So the mystery was solved. But there are a lot of mysteries in life, is it not? A lot of questions we ask, a lot of enigmas, a lot of riddles, a lot of deep things. The Bible is full of mysteries. Why do we think that, well, God's word needs to be clear and plain and simple? Oh, well, I, I, we don't like all these mysteries, but mysteries are all the way through this book. Mark chapter 1, there's the mystery of the kingdom of God. Romans chapter number 11, there's the mystery of Israel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's the mystery of the resurrection. Look at the little book of Ephesians, it's just full of mystery. Ephesians chapter 1, the mystery of the will of God. Ephesians chapter 3, it goes on with the mystery of the church. Ephesians chapter 5, there's a mystery of marriage. Ephesians chapter 6, there, there's a mystery of the gospel. You read in uh, 2 Timothy, there's a mystery of godliness. All the way through the Bible, you have mystery after mystery after mystery. And certainly as we study the book of Ecclesiastes, I've said in all probability, it's the autobiography of Solomon. But as I have studied it, I'm almost changing that. I, I think it's almost like his memoirs. It's almost like his daily quiet time book. Because here's a brilliant philosopher theologian who's sharing a wide view of life. And he sees all the mysteries that are there. And he causes us to confront things and to ask questions about things that we perhaps would never do in any other book of the Bible. Remember, it's the first book we should read because it asks the big questions that the rest of God's Word answers. And so we come all the way here to the middle of the eighth chapter and once again, we are encountering a riddle wrapped up in a mystery put inside an enigma. He starts off and his thesis is very simple. Life is crammed full of mystery. Does anybody want to debate that? And then he just recites the mysteries here. He says, so then I have seen, this is 8, verse 10. So then I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they soon are forgotten, and the city where they did this, that too is futility, that too is silly, that too is a mystery. What's he saying? There's the mystery of hypocrisy. By the way, somebody a few months ago says, you know, I don't go to church for there's so many hypocrites up there. I said, well, come on and join us. <laughs> You'll fit right in. There's a mystery of hypocrisy that we see here. What's he saying? Here's somebody who's very wicked who goes in and out of the holy place. And they may have an extravagant burial and they've gone in and out of the holy place, but they are godless in their life. I thought about John Gotti. Remember him, the dapper Don, 
the mafioso, the vicious head of the mafia there for, in New York City and perhaps other places. I thought about his funeral. Do you remember how elaborate his funeral was? By the way, you see there these pictures. That's the caravan of literally 130 cars who were part of the Gambino family. And then they had 30 more of his captains following. They had an extravagant funeral with hundreds and hundreds of people there honoring him, all the Christian symbolism you could buy at that time. And he was buried in Queens in a cemetery that's called God's Holy Acre. <laughs> Do you see this verse? The mystery of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is everywhere, Solomon is saying. And then he talks about the next mystery in this, a whole list of them that he gives us here. He says, he says, but it is not, it will not be well for the evil man, for he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. And he says, there is a futility which is done on earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say this too is a mystery, is futility. He's talking about here the mystery of injustice. The mystery, we got plenty of hypocrisy, we've got plenty of injustice. There's a mystery about it. You were born, let us say, in the fourth ward. Your mother had several sexually transmitted diseases. She was addicted to crack cocaine. She was a third generation recipient of welfare, never held a job in her life, had no idea really who your father happened to be. She dropped out of the fourth grade, could sign her name, could really not read. She had several other siblings, and you're born into that family. You get to be 21 years old. You look back on your life. Do you think there's any injustice there? Hmm? Do you find any injustice? That's what Solomon's talking about. Here's someone who is wicked and their reward is if they're good. Here's somebody who's good. Their reward is if they're wicked. Here is somebody who is innocent as a child and they're brought up in a situation that is virtually impossible to come out of. Do you see any injustice there? Here's a fine Christian family. They're in an SUV. And they're going on a family outing. They're on the interstate. Mother, father, four children, having a big time, but a drunk who lives in Tanglewood, has a lot of money, but he's drunk and he crosses over the line and he meets this family head on and they're all killed, the children and the mother except the father, and he is permanently disabled. Do you see any injustice there? 
There is the mystery of hypocrisy. There is the mystery of injustice, Solomon says. And also, he goes on, he says, there's a mystery of pleasure. You see, he doesn't leave anything out. Isn't he pretty a thoroughgoing thinker? I mean, Solomon just keeps sweeping us up in all these mysteries and all these enigmas and all of these deep, deep questions that we don't like to face. And here's the mystery of pleasure. He said, look at verse 15. So I commended pleasure. For there is nothing good for a man to do under the sun except to eat and to drink, be merry. This will stand by him in the toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given under the sun. Lord, he says, hey, go ahead and have a good time. But there's a problem with pleasure because you engage in pleasure, 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 pleasure. Suddenly you become jaded and pleasure no longer is pleasure. A permanent vacation leads to a life that really does not have meaning, purpose, or significance. And so there is the mystery of pleasure. It doesn't satisfy. Then he talked about the, the, the mystery of theology. Theology is everywhere. Verse 16, he said, when I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one that should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that men and women cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun, even though mankind should seriously, should seriously consider it, he will not discover, and though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover it. You know what he's saying? He's saying through natural revelation, just what you get under the sun in nature, you're not going to discover God. That's like the old boy who says, you know, when I play golf every Sunday morning, I'm closer to the Lord than when I go to church. Well, the problem with that in nature makes no requirements. You can live like hell, live your own life. And so he says, I have sought everything about theology. You can't find out much about God from natural revelation. You see that God is capricious. You see that might makes right. You see the survival of the fittest. That's what you get in natural revelation. And he's saying, I have looked theologically for God and all of this. And he said, some people say they found him, but he's saying he's not there. You can't really find his true nature and character. So there's a mystery of, of theology. And then he talks about the mystery of death. He keeps bringing up death, doesn't he? I wish he'd leave that behind, but there's a mystery in it. And look what he says, verse 2 of chapter 9. It is all the same. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, for the unclean, the man who offered sacrifice and the one who does not sacrifice as a good man is, so is the sinner, so is the swearer, so is the one who's afraid to swear. He's saying, we're all going to die, and it's all going to be the same. There's a mystery about that. There's a total mystery in death. And so he's gone through all these mysteries. There's a mystery in hypocrisy. There's plenty of that. There's a mystery in death. Boy, there's a 100% recommendation, a 100% chance of that. He said, there's a mystery in looking for God under the sun. He said, there's a mystery, 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 mystery. He's talking about 
a riddle. He's talking about enigma. And finally, he comes to the conclusion, and he says, look, in light of all these mysteries that are unscrutable, you can't unwrap them. You can't find any meaning for life, any significance. He said, you know what? Out of all the choices, let the good times roll. <laughs> Let's party, party, party. Let's just let it all hang out. And then that's the next verses. He said, cram your life full of pleasure. Verse 7, he says, go then, eat your bread in happiness. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God already approves your works. Let, the, let your clothes be white all the time. Lord, dress up as fancy as you can. Let not oil be like on your head. Man, make up all you can. Look as good as you can. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. Didn't he mention this a chapter or two before? Here's a man with a thousand women. He said, just pick out one. Spend your life with that one. Man, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Remember, Solomon talks about life and love and marriage. You better listen to him. He's had a lot of experience there. He says, pick out that gal, gentleman, and love her with all you've got for the rest of your life. And some people never do get that. I, I read about a guy named Glenn Watt. Glenn Watt died fairly recently, age of 88, in L.A. No one claimed the body. No one knew him. He died alone. And finally, after a period of time, the county took him and buried him in an unmarked grave, as they do. Happens all the time in large cities. The only thing about it, this man held a Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah. They didn't know it. Nobody knew it. And his record was he'd been married 29 times. <laughs> At that time, it was a record. Probably some of you may have passed that by now. I don't know. <laughs> and that made uh, Elizabeth Taylor look like a nun. <laughs> and, and that was the world record. Now, here's somebody who died alone. He had how many ex-wives? How many children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, any number of in-laws, and nobody knew him. Nobody identified with him. He had no one around him. He died absolutely alone, was buried at unmarked grave. How many times had he stood down there, taking the woman you hold by the right hand to require to love and cherish her and honor and sustain her in sickness as in health and poverty as in wealth? And he said, I do 29 times. Solomon saying, man, be married and commit yourself to that woman, to that man. That's what marriage is all about. And he's saying, this is a part of the pleasure. If you make, can't make rhyme or reason out of life, just throw yourself into pleasure. Huh. Life is crammed full of mysteries. He lists some of them. Therefore, in the light of meaninglessness of life, futility of life, all the question marks about life, we can understand. He said, well, just cram your life full of pleasure. And then he presents in one verse the deepest mystery of all. Listen to this in verse 11, chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. Again, I saw under the sun. Now, remember, he is reasoning and figuring out things only in a secular, humanistic, agnostic, atheistic way. You got that? You have to understand. That's how he is 
using all these rationalizations here. So he, he's accurate, by the way, if you look at things from an a, a, atheistic viewpoint. He's accurate. He really is. But then he comes to this one little verse. It's the deepest of all. He said, and I discovered, I discovered, I again saw under the sun, verse 11, chapter 9, that the race is not to the swift. Solomon, have you lost it? I've seen a lot of races, and races are won usually by the fastest person, right? To say the race is not to the swift, that doesn't make any sense. Well, once in a while, but usually the fastest runner wins. What are you saying, Solomon? And then look at the next thing he says. He says, the battle is not to the warriors. I've not experienced that. You want to have a little cage fight? You jump in there, one of those cage fighters. If you're not a warrior, I can tell you, you're going to lose. The battle is to those who are prepared, those who are fit, those who are warriors. That's it. He says, the battle is not won by warriors. Solomon, have you lost it? What in the world are you saying? This is a mystery. He says, neither is bread to the wise. Now, that really, have you ever known anybody who was wise? who was hungry for bread? I've never known of that. Solomon, Solomon, this is deep. This is crazy. And then he says, nor wealth to the discerning. Now that is crazy. If you have discernment, I mean, you had discernment, you're, you're going to have means. You're, gonna have, you're not going to be hungry. You're going to have means. He said, wealth doesn't go to the discerning person. That, that is absolutely wild, ridiculous. I debate with him, him, him on that all day long. What are you talking about? And then he compounds it. He says, the discerning and, and favor to men of ability. Men who have ability and talent, men and women who are gifted, they, they have the favor of God, the favor of mankind. I mean, Solomon, this is all backwards. It's, it's a riddle wrapped up in a mystery that's put inside an enigma, this particular verse. It's the deepest, most confusing thing of all until you read the last of it. Look what he says. For time and chance overtake them all. What did he say? He's saying the fast, lose the race, the wealthy are hungry, the discerning don't make it. He goes down all these things that are contrary to anything we know, any kind of rational thinking. He said the decisive thing is time and chance. Right place, right time, bang. I drove home last night from church and on the way home I had my radio tuned and somebody who was talking about the stock market, which I know zip about, this guy said, you can make a lot of money on the stock market if your timing is right. Well, you should write that down. How smart is that? This guy is a wonderful stock analysis. Hello? Time and chance consume everything else, does it not? You can be the fastest and lose if the timing and the chance is there. 
You can be wise and not make it. You can have discerning and you can fail. All the, it's time and chance, time and chance. What's Solomon saying? Somebody would say he's playing craps. <laughs> Come on, God. It's just all luck, time and chance. But he says, this overtakes them all. And then I looked at this verse and I said, who is in control of chance? Who runs time? Oh, I wonder if Solomon, somewhere in his secular, humanistic, godless understanding of life, did he have a little light peep in once again from him who is above the sun, even God? Has he given us any insight? And I saw two little slivers of light right in this section that just clear this up so beautifully for us all. Look at verse 12 of chapter 8. Solomon says, I know that it will be well for those who fear God and fear him openly. He says, time and chance will work out for you if you fear God, worship God, and you worship God openly. That's what's he saying. Go to church. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Worship privately, worship corporately. What you do is go to church. In the light of all the mysteries of life, the confusions of life, the question of life, he says, go to church. Then there's participation. Participate in church. I look out there and we sing a song like Deep in the Heart of Texas. Some of you men just belt it out. We sing Blessed Assurance. And <laughs> I'll tell you something, guys. You better learn how to sing Blessed Assurance with more resoundingness than you do Deep in the Heart of Texas. You see, in church, we have to participate. You have to move your lips at least. If you can't make a joyful noise or you don't have tuned in your you know, just flat in your singing like Keith. <laughs> so just, just say words. You have to be prepared for God to meet you in church. You have to participate in prayer and worship and music and all that happens that points us to the Almighty so he can deal with us. You see, and then when you walk out of church, you have to practice. We don't just get biblical stuff and say, boy, I learned today. No, no, no. We say, Lord, is that speaking to me and my heart and my need and my expectation? Are you doing something? You see, we have to practice it. And then that's what happens in church. We meet the living God. And in church, we come out with a purpose. During the Depression in Ireland, the government gave a job to a lot of men and had them build roads. And the men were so delighted to get a paycheck to take care of their family that they went to build those roads and they would sing and work hard. But after a week or two, they figured out that the roads they were building didn't lead anywhere. They went off into bogs. The roads they were building had no purpose. And then an author examining that saw all of a sudden the Irishmen stopped singing their Irish songs. And they stopped working very hard. And the commentator said, it's tough to build a road that goes nowhere. 
It's tough to live a life that goes nowhere. It is a church that we get supernatural significance as to what life is all about and we get a renewed purpose in living. Now, the next question is, what is the result of this? And we find that also. Here is chance. Here is probability. Look at chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. Solomon says, for I have taken all of this to my heart and explain it with righteous men and wise women and their deeds are in the hand of God. What is he saying? All this mystery, everything that's going on in life, when we become worshipers, private and corporately, then all of our life, we end up where? In the hand of God. <laughs> Isn't that tremendous? To be in the hand of God. The word hand and arm is mentioned 200 times in the Bible. And he is saying, look, when we learn how to worship privately and worship corporately, we get a purpose in life. And all of a sudden, he who is above the sun comes down and meets with us who are under the sun. And then we realize that all of our deeds and all of our life, we're in the hand of our heavenly Father. <laughs> Psalm 73. If you have your Bibles, look at it. Turn left. Psalm 73 is the same story here. The psalmist says in 73 verse 2, For as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, and my steps had almost slipped. You feel like that today? You're about to stumble. Your steps are slippery. Then in verse 17, he says, Until I came into the sanctuary of God. He went to church. That's what we do. We go to church. He said, I came into the sanctuary of God, and all of a sudden, this is what happened to him. And I want to give this as my personal testimony of recent days. When my heart was embittered, and I was pierced within, which I, when I was senseless and ignorant, I became a beast before you, O Lord. Nevertheless, I am continually with you, you have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. What is the result of going to church? We know that we are placed in the hand of God and whatever happens when we're about to slip, we're about to fall, we're discouraged, we're despondent, and we run into all these confusion aspects of life and we're on the edge of a precipice that his hand is there with us. Did you see what happened in Detroit, Michigan? A young man climbed on an overpass and was about to jump off and take his own life. Word went out to 18-wheelers, those big rigs, and they rushed to the spot, and I want you to look and see what happened. 13 of them gathered under that overpass, so if this young man jumped, he couldn't jump very far and take his life because they were there to catch them with their vans. They stayed there for over three hours until the young man walked out of harm's way and went to get help. Your feet slippy, 
slippery. You, you, you know, you're almost falling. You're discouraged. You're despondent. Go to church and realize that if we are in Christ, that we are in the hand of our heavenly Father. Just like that little boy who was walking with his dad through New York City and his dad said, hold on to my finger as we walked through the crowd. And he held on. And finally, after a block or two, little boy said, Father, I'm tired. I can't hold on to your finger any longer. You're going to have to hold my hand. You get to that point, God will take us in his hand. That's the beautiful truth of what happens in church and the result when we come out of church. That old song says he's got the whole world in his hands. That's great. But also he's got you and me, brother, you and me, sister in his hand, and that's even greater. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the blessed assurance we have that in all of life, in the riddles and the mysteries and the enigmas, those big, bare questions we sometimes boldly ask, the doubts, the fears, the health challenges, the moral challenges, the family challenges, the vocational challenges, when we've almost bottomed out. Lord, we know we look up to you, but even better than that, you're at the bottom with us <laughs> because through worship, private and church, we're assured that you've got us. Your sovereignty is operating in our lives. You've got us right in the palm of your hand. As we're in Christ, you're in us. And Lord, that is the blessed assurance and the confidence we have, the confidence we have as members of your family. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, before we leave you today, Dr. Young is here to answer a couple of questions coming out of the message we've just heard. Dr. Young, if someone listening today is looking to find a church home and a place they can worship, what would you suggest they look for in a healthy church community? First of all, find a church where you can worship and where you can serve. And worship, I think, is valid when we worship according to biblical truth. Not someone who pats a Bible, who says we believe the Bible, who genuinely takes God's Word and exegetes it and applies it. It's not just knowing, it's putting it into life. And therefore, find a church where you can worship, where God's Word is taught where you can sing, where you can pray, where you can celebrate the truth of God in Jesus Christ. And then find a place where you can serve, where you not just receive, but you can give of yourself and your life. Find a church like that, biblically its orientation, unapologetically evangelical. And that means unapologetically married to and under the authority of the Scripture. And then you can worship, you can serve, and God will Bring life to your life. That's how you look for a church. Worship and serve. And Dr. Young, what would you say to someone who wants to make their life count for what matters most? How can we ensure our days are just vanity? 
You always have to begin with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. And you have to maintain that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Christian life is all about a relationship. Relationship with God through Jesus Christ. A right relationship with ourselves. We understand who we are and what we're about. And we maintain a relationship with others. In that context, I can tell you, in those right relationship with God, with self, with others, your life, your life, your words, your walk will have eternal significance. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.